Hey folks, it's Mr. Sensational Gino Vega coming to you with a very special episode 66 of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. Oh, coming to you feeling quite beleaguered, uninspired. Uh, what other adjectives can I think of? Not many because of feeling so beleaguered and so uninspired. Um, just in one of those moods, one of those downward spirals where um, I really just want to walk the earth, as I see Robots puts it. Our uh, chief podcaster here at the network, I see Robots, in case you're not familiar with the individual of whom I, whom I speak. Um, but yeah, I just feel like kind of shutting it all down, fading into Bolivia, as uh, the great Mike Tyson once said. Um, just kind of uh, doing my own reclusive thing. It's been feeling lately like there is an inordinate amount of noise in the world and that I don't know that I really need to be contributing to that noise. And I don't even just mean through this podcast, I mean through any kind of outward expression, through any kind of social media presence, through any kind of um, doing much of anything other than keeping to myself and enjoying the tranquility and peace of mind that comes with a metaphorical walking of the earth where one travels in solitude a la Bill Bixby. That was his name, right? The actor that played Bruce Banner in the the old original live action Incredible Hulk television show. I remember watching that show when I was a kid. That's one of my earliest memories of watching television was... uh, being up at night and watching The Incredible Hulk with Bill Bixby, if I have the man's name right, and Lou Ferrigno. I associate that show with having a fever because I think I watched it once when I was ill. One of the first times I recall having a fever, I watched it. Then maybe I saw a commercial or something that referenced Saturday Night Fever. And so I thought that, you know, this is just what happens is you got a fever while, you, while watching evening television on the weekends. I don't know. But yes, this, the, the, the clarion call of walking the earth has been strong for me lately. I don't even know. I mean, I guess it's just because I, I watch one by one various people I know. No, no one closely uh, associated with the show or the network, but just ancillary people I know in my life. Going down various paths of mutation day by day, more of them. Atrophying, zombifying. Um through any number of, of mutation paths, all kinds of nonsense, just this general cleaving to that, the, this idea that the, the meaning in life is to have bizarre opinions about things and to, to want to die on the hill about these opinions that really, if you, just, if you simply walk to the earth and shut down all the noise, these things you're having belligerent, uh, strange opinions on wouldn't even be affecting you. Um, which makes me myself want to... to uh, Remove myself from the equation, and again, I don't. Please don't don't be alarmed. I don't mean like um, I don't mean uh, <laughs> any kind of like um, negative thoughts about ending myself. I just mean existentially removing myself from the noise equation of social media of social life. Yet here we are, all the same, on a very special episode sixty six. Yeah, in in addition to to 
seeing mutation all around me and, and seeing a lot of that mutation um, being the result of, um, of too much noise, of entering that noise, of joining in the noise. Um, I've just been feeling like stuck too. Um, I've got so much stuff to do, so many house projects. Like we still haven't moved into this place we moved into like two months ago. There's boxes all over I got to take care of. There's furniture that needs to be assembled. <clears throat> and every day, you know, I start off with grand plans and then, you know, some one mundane disaster after another unfolds as far as, you know, this thing's not working. So I got to spend two hours fixing it. And this thing was messed up, you know, there's stuff all over the floor. So I got to clean that, but that's time that I'm not spending getting more moved in. And next thing I know the day's over and you go to sleep and you wake up to do it all over again and to just feel constantly just mired in existential quicksand. Um, so that's been adding to this malaise that's that's affecting the Vegaverse right now. But we'll see. Uh, these things are are always transitory, always pass. Just how I'm feeling right now in the moment. Um, exacerbated by the fact that I feel in many ways um, the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast has kind of run its course. Mr. Sensational Gino Vega, the, the whole premise is he is not a particularly interesting individual. <laughs> so... I find myself, uh, every time I sit down at the mic, having less and less um, to talk about, to pontificate about. But again, you know, it's, we, we, all, we all have our slumps. We can't all be batting a thousand every day of the week. And so perhaps this too shall pass. Um, but don't worry, I, I mean, not that anyone's worried, but yeah, I'm probably not going anywhere podcast-wise anytime soon. I feel we're, we're still we're here on very special episode 66, you know, that doesn't seem like a very milestone place to call it, so we're going to keep churning it out, we're going to keep finding something to talk about each week, uh, somehow, maybe, I don't know, we'll see. Uh, so in order to find something to talk about this week, um... I had an idea. I thought I would roll the dice. Roll the dice and see what the fates decree. But then I didn't have to go much farther than that. Because even the very notion of rolling the dice informed what I'm going to speak about this week on very special episode 66. We're going to talk about Role-playing games. I may have talked about this subject on a previous episode that is now escaping my memory. My memory that seems to be eroding by the day, but I don't think I have. Um, But it's a topic that's been um, kind of front and center in my mind in a weird way lately. Um, It's mentioned on uh, a previous episode of the show. Um, Ms. Sensational, my wife and I... um, one of the places that we uh, socialize here, at here in uh, Napa, California, is an establishment um, known as Napa Cigar. It's essentially a bar that also sells cigars that you can smoke cigars in. And by going there, we pretty much know all the regular customers and the employees now. The place is kind of a mix. There's there's a regular crew. I'm sure I talked about this last time I spoke about this place. And then there's a rotating cast of people that are like visiting tourists in the wine country for the weekend. And you kind of end up talking to them, learning about where they're from, blah, blah, blah. 
Uh, and then um, there's locals. But then, of course, there's the employees. And it's not like this place employs a ton of people. So you get to know the employees pretty well if you go there once a week or so like we do. And um, two of the employees in particular are very into playing Dungeons and Dragons. And Dungeons and Dragons role-playing games in general are something that have, at least in a background way, been ubiquitous in my life since, I would say, I was in maybe second or third grade. Uh, So what is that, like, since I was like seven or eight? But for as constant a presence as Dungeons and Dragons and other role playing games have been, um, being in proximity of these individuals at the cigar, cigar store who are playing on a dedicated weekly basis, it makes me realize how, in a uh, paradoxical way, I've barely even touched them. Let me explain it like this. Um, My first introduction to Dungeons & Dragons, to role-playing games, was at um, a toy store that still exists to this day. At least it did a few years back, the last time I was in this town. Toy store in a town called San Luis Obispo, California. Um, The Cal Poly College is there, if you're familiar with that school. Um, I spent a few years living in a very small hillbilly town near there called Atascadero, California. So San Luis was like the big city um, in proximity to Atascadero, even though it's a very small little coastal California town, but it, you know, it, it, it actually had uh, stores and civilization and stuff where Atascadero was just like Camaros and dirt roads. In any case, uh, there was a toy store in San Luis Obispo, California, that was the primary toy store of my youth. I'm sure I've talked about it on this show before. Uncle Tom's Toys. It exists to this day, again, based on my knowledge from a few years back, um, as Tom's Toys, because <laughs> I think there might have been <laughs> there might have been some negative connotation with Uncle Tom. Um, but I guess that that very important name was a victim of cancel culture, so now now it's Tom's Toys. I'm I'm, I'm kidding about uh, anyway. I mean, the, the name did change. Let's leave it at that. Um, but in Uncle Tom's Toys one day, I was perusing the aisles and I saw a game that came in a red box and it was the Dungeons and Dragons Beginners set. And at this point in time, Dungeons and Dragons made by TSR, uh, that was the parent company, which I can't remember what that stands for now. TSR? I don't know. Um, at the time, Dungeons and Dragons was split into two distinct properties. There was advanced Dungeons and Dragons, which were a series of hardbound books. And you would have the Dungeon Master's Guide, the Player's Guide, um, Demons and Demigods or whatever that one was called. I I think that's a favorite of ISRs, the one where they're like stealing a jeweled eye off of some demigod statue um any number of of additional books they could sell to marks that had extra rule sets more level of detail to the game that was advanced dungeons and dragons 
But then you had uh, what I was regular or basic Dungeons and Dragons, which was being marketed in these boxed sets. And these were aimed more at kids like me that were intrigued by the idea of Dungeons and Dragons, but didn't really understand what it was and also didn't have the expendable, disposable income to buy an entire library of expensive hardbound books. So they were selling these box sets and the red beginner set, for instance, and I'm sure there's a rules lawyer out there that can have the true details, but let's just say, you know, the, the red box set gave you rules for how to create characters and run adventures for characters up through, let's say, like level three or maybe level five, some low level, you know. Then the next uh, set in that series was the blue box. And the blue block box, not to uh, be confused with blue blocks, blue block, blue blockers, those sunglasses that that guy used to sell on TV, rapping about them. Like, I got my blue blockers and I like to say, I see the world in a different way. Um, it was something like that, right? But uh, wasn't he? He was like at some flea market or something. And like the, the people were selling, like, he was he wearing a sombrero or they were selling sombreros or so. I don't know, man. But or was he at Venice Beach? I don't know. Something something like that. Some some outdoor kind of flim flam carny atmosphere. Um in any case, uh the blue set moved on to the next set of levels and also introduced like wilderness rules. How, how, uh, the, the first one was confined to dungeons. The blue box was wilderness rules and the next box uh, you know, I can't even remember. I think it, it introduced like how to have your own castle or your own manor or keep or something. And then eventually it went all the way to like a box set that I, no one I knew ever had, but I would see in the store where you had like godlike levels and godlike powers. But I, I was fixated on this first set, this red set, the, the, the beginner set. And I think I was familiar with the concept of Dungeons and Dragons, at least the brand name from, um, I believe that at this point, the Dungeons and Dragons action figures, whichever company had created those action figures, some toy dork can uh, fill us in on the details. I'm looking at you, e nerd. Um, the I believe the Dungeons and Dragons action figures are out, and this was like what was this guy called? Like War Duke, who's a bad guy, and then like, um, uh, or was he Marduk or something? Um, and then there was the boring good guy. Um, here, let me look these up really quick because this is stupid to talk just. Uh, with no context here. D&D action figures. So I'm already feeling more rejuvenated. So I should have just like gotten over my funk and just realized doing the show would be a good thing. So, um... Uh, uh, it's always so annoying when you're trying to look up these old-timey action figures because you get all these weird reissue stuff. So I'm just trying to get the information on the original OG... Series D and D action figures wiki that might help. Okay, here we go. No, now I got the wiki entry for action figure Dungeons and Dragons related products toys from 1983 to 1984. That's exactly the lines up right. LGN produced a line of advanced Dungeons and Dragons action figures, but there's no they're really poorly represented on uh. Wikipedia, because there's no other information about them. Here we go. I found some dopey, uh, looks like an Angel Fire type website. And we've got, uh, let's see who, who these guys are. Okay, I was right. War Duke was the bad guy. Evil fighter War Duke. You got this geek Strongheart, the good paladin, some bro, some Dan Severin looking guy with a mustache. I always found that guy to be extremely boring, as paladins are. Um, and then you had folks like, I don't know that I had either of those. 
Um, I had for sure Bowmark, the Good Crusader. Bowmark. That was he was that was a dope uh, action figure. He's like all in white, white armor with uh, red chain, like ar- white plates with red chainmail, and like a big lion logo emblazoned on the front. He had this giant kind of diamond shaped shield, also with the lion mark, and then an axe and a sword. And kind of like a red fork on his helmet. This guy was ready for action. There's Deeth, the good fighter. I don't think I had Deeth. I don't know why he sounds familiar to me. I think my neighbor had Deeth. Drex, evil warrior. I do not remember him at all. Elkhorn, the good dwarf fighter. I do remember him. He's a super generic dwarf. Um, Grimsword, the evil knight. I do not remember him at all. Hockler, the good ranger. I remember him by look because I remember there was a ranger looking dope, but I don't remember the name. Kelek, the evil sorcerer. I do remember him. I had him. He's this kind of evil bald head. He looks like he could be a philosophy instructor at the Santa Rosa Junior College circa 1996. Kelek, evil sorcerer. Um, and we don't need to go through all the rest of these, but you get the, the, so these figures were out in the mix and I may or may not have had Bowmark at this point, but they were, they were on my radar, um, and got me interested in the Dungeons and Dragons brand and franchise and the game writ large. I do not think the cartoon was out just yet, though. I think it came out, uh, shortly around this time, shortly after I got interested. And as always, as always the case with these kind of cartoons. It was fine in retrospect. And there was one episode in particular I remember I really liked where they were, like, imprisoned. They were sent to a jail somewhere, and they had to get out. And I think they met that dork uh, Strongheart. The, the, the action figure characters did not play a big part in that cartoon that I remember, but they did make some occasional cameos. And Strongheart, for sure, cameoed in that episode and he helped them escape from the prison i believe someone who is more fact oriented more uh, fact concerned can uh, look into that should they so desire but um anyway the problem with that cartoon is just like just like he-man just like everything what i'm expecting these grim tales of savage fantasy and heads chopped off and spells incinerating people and and um uh, horrific uh, lovecraftian creatures doing battle with uh just sort of Neanderthal warriors and, and scheming wizards. Instead, you get a bunch of dopey kids from our time sent there by a carnival ride. Was not feeling that. I guess they were trying to do the metaphor for, for how, how it is when like dopey kids sit around playing D&D and in their mind they, they are creating this world with these, these fantasy characters. But I, I just felt, again, it was could have been this great, grisly, um, enthralling, dark fantasy uh, ride, and instead it was a ha-ha, ironic romp. Um, not to say, like, I despised it. I liked it better than He-Man, the original He-Man cartoon, but it was still kind of disappointing. In any case, was fixated on this red box set. I wanted to buy it. My parents made me pull a performative amount of weeds from our yard until I was able to purchase the red box set. But once those weeds were pulled, uh, once my manual labor had been put in, I can't remember how much it was or how long it took, but the box set was mine. And I poured over that thing for hours on end without even really understanding what it was describing or how to play this game. Um, it didn't really make a lot of sense to me. I was pretty young again. I was like second or third grade. Um, but I found the books enthralling. And I, I just reading the rules, even though I didn't quite understand them, and looking at those great Larry Elmore 
that's the guy's name, right? Illustrations. Um, I just felt very, very sucked into the whole thing with ever, without ever actually getting anywhere with it. And, and I didn't even have friends I'd, I'd be able to play it with. I mean, I had like the neighbor kid across the street and you just, you don't, when you're that age, you don't hang in a way that you can sit down and have this, this, uh, uh, formalized gaming session for hours on end. But, um, I still held that red box set near and dear to my heart. I eventually got the blue box, bo- the blue box set. Easy for me to say. And that's as far as I ever got with those, um, but the seeds were planted for my continual relationship with role-playing games, relationship with Dungeons & Dragons. It just became part of my DNA. It was like everything else back then, um, video games, comic books. Didn't matter how intensely I was into any of these genres or any of these things at any given time, professional wrestling. Um, you know, my, my interest would wax and wane with each of these different genres, but they were all there. They were all part of the Gino Vegan personality, the Gino Vegan construct. Um, but I would sometimes be spending more time on one of them than others. And, um, but even when they would be far from me physically, they'd be right immediately there in the mind's eye. Like, even if I wasn't actively pouring over comic books that month, I still thought of comic books as part of who I was. Comic books as part of my daily reality. Same with role-playing games. Role-playing games is probably the most extreme example of this because all the other pillars of my aesthetic worldview, pillars of, of the, the physical artifacts and artistic lens through which I see the world, um, of all of those, I have at least at some point in time had a very intense um, personal relationship with, you know, um, Sometimes I, you know, I won't read comic books for five years at a time, but there have been times when my entire life, entire identity, entire entertainment system was revolved around comic books. Same with professional wrestling, same with video games. But role-playing games, it was always more in theory. Because again, there's just so many logistical constraints, especially in the time, that the, the age I was, the, the time of the world it was, um... It just was not that easy to assemble a crew and do sustained role-playing. But be that as it may, I continued to collect and amass role-playing game rule books over the years. Um, I ended up... And that's what's interesting now that Dungeons & Dragons has come out so far on top of the heap, which... um, I mean, it's not like a total surprise because it always was... The, the the King Kong role-playing game. But when I was young, when I was a child, it still had that status, but anyone that played Dungeons & Dragons probably played five to ten other role-playing games as well. Or at least, um, because like I said, a lot of us didn't have the, the means of actually playing these games in a sustained way. Anyone that owned uh, Dungeons & Dragons rulebooks also owned rulebooks for like ten to twenty other games as well. When I see these people out in the world playing Dungeons and Dragons now, like the two folks I know from the cigar store, role playing role playing is Dungeons and Dragons. Dungeons and Dragons is role playing. They have no other games on their radar whatsoever. And these guys aren't like the most hardcore of hard like gamer nerds, as it were. They just for whatever reason got really into Dungeons and Dragons. But I think that's indicative of the market share, the the, the stranglehold that D and D has on that industry now. It's much like. The NFL is football. The UFC is mixed martial arts. So too, it seems, Dungeons & Dragons is very much so role-playing games now. 
Um, not to say that other ones don't exist, and there are, I definitely know people that do are like role play crazy that 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 play other games and um, probably would even consider D and D too passe, too mainstream. Um, but just for the average person on, I, th- I feel like there's more average folks on the street. Um, there's more average folks on the street out there getting heavily into D and D now. But those average folks on the street are not interested in delving further into more esoteric games. I mean, I guess it's like that with a lot of things, a lot of things. Like in my day with professional wrestling, for instance, unless you were just the most casual fan that just like to you watching wrestling was like maybe you watch WrestleMania every year. Um, it was just a given that you were part of this group of dorks that would get, um, and I, I'm including myself in that, that would get bored with like the most obvious expressions of the genre and you want to keep delving further and further and further and further. What else is there? What else is there? And that's how I found my way to weird stuff like pro wrestling Noah. Not that that's not weird, but you know, just stuff that's not, you know, right there. I feel like more people I know watch wrestling now than did when I was young and I was obsessive about it, but they're only really interested in watching either WWE or AEW, the two most obvious expressions of the genre. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I just, I, I, I think it's because these genres were all relatively new when I was young and they've all matured kind of to a point where I, I feel like maybe if you're coming into it now, if you're coming into it casually off the street, there isn't as much of a need to dig into weirder, deeper forms because you have these established forms right there for you. So why do you need to waste all your time watching you know stuff that isn't the most obvious iteration? I don't know. It seems to be the way of the world. It seems to be uh, the movement we're on as all things move to an end. But anyway, yeah, I, I, it's really weird thinking back how much time I spent reading role-playing game rule books and how much time I spent not, not collecting them. I wasn't a collector per se, but I mean, I just amassed a large number of them in my childhood, in my teens, because I just figured, oh, that's what you do. I, yeah, I'm Gino Vega. I buy role-playing games. Um, so... I never delved too deep into the rest of the world of TSR, interestingly enough, because there was a time, and I, I don't think it's like this anymore. Well, TSR, it's now D&D is made by Wizards of the Coast, and I imagine TSR is no longer with us. But at the time, TSR had, like, a role-playing game for every genre. They had, you know, D&D. Then they had, like, Gamma World was a sci-fi apocalypse uh, game. They had, was it, like, Star Frontiers with some spaceship one? Never played any of these, but I just remember always seeing them around. I never really knew anyone who played them. I guess that they weren't as successful in getting people interested in their other genre spinoffs other than D&D. Um, what else was there? There was, uh, oh, Top Secret, also known as Top Secret SI. Now, that one I did get heavily into. We will talk about that in just a moment. That's the only other of the TSR games off the top of my head, at least in my sphere, that had any kind of legs, any kind of tea other than D&D. But um, I uh, never veered heavily into TSR other than D&D, but from D&D I moved on to, let's see, um, I became, and this isn't necessarily in chronological order because it's all stream of consciousness at this point, um, I got into a company called Chaosium Games, excuse me, gosh, Chaosium Games. Let's let's uh, go to the Google machine here real quick. Chaosium Games. I think I ended up like a catalog of theirs or something. So I would pour over the catalog and think about all these games of theirs I wanted to play. And I never really played either any of them. I bought a few of them. Never played them. Um, let's see. It's so hard to find like just a list of 
they had stuff like, um, uh, oh wow, I didn't realize this was straight out of Oakland because Chaosium was the fact that this guy Greg Stafford, who I'm going to talk about in just a second, um, lived near the Oakland Coliseum. So he combined Coliseum with Chaos, hence Chaosium. Chaosium had games. Oh, they had the Call of Cthulhu game, and that's how I first found out about H.P. Lovecraft and, and Cthulhu Mythos. Never had that game. Always read about it in their catalogs. Great catalogs, Chaosium. Um, okay, they had the Ghostbusters role-playing game, which I bought. Um, they had a Star Wars role-playing game. Um, I don't, Although I don't know if that was actually theirs. I don't know. Um, I believe... Yes, Chaosium had the uh, King Arthur Pendragon role-playing game, which I had. Poured heavily over the rules for that. Never once played. They also had a game called Prince Valiant, which I did, in fact, play. And interestingly enough, I played with the creator, Greg Stafford, who I believe is no longer with us. I thought about him a while back, and I looked him up, and I think he is no longer with us. Uh, let's make sure I'm not spreading rumors. Yes, he, he left this mortal coil in 2018. At the age of 70. But um, there was a very, very short-lived role-playing game store in the Montgomery Village Shopping Center in Santa Rosa, California, where I lived at the time. This would have been, I think it was in junior high school when this happened. And um, he came in to do a demo of this Prince Valiant game. And you could just show up and play with him. And so there was like five other people. And we uh, played a day's worth of Prince Valiant. And Prince Valiant was what it was billed as a storytelling game. And I really appreciated this about Prince Valiant because um, for the role playing that I have done, I know some people, this is why they're into role playing games. But to me, the least interest is, interesting part is like all the heavy duty battle mechanics. And like role playing games are basically, it consists of you have your party and it doesn't, there's no, could matter less who these characters are. They're just thrown together in a party and they kind of trundle along until they see some kind of monsters or enemy and it doesn't matter what they are. They're just there and combat ensues and it's all about dice rolling and it's all about rules lawyering over the combat. It's very uninteresting to me. I'm more, more interested in the character aspect. Like, why are these characters together? Why does this story matter? Why are we here? Why do we care? In my experience, that doesn't really rise to the to the top of most role-playing game uh Experiences because you got a lot of these, a lot of these uh, kind of dice, dicey. I don't mean they're dicey, but I mean they're into dice, statistical minded, probably e nerd type. <laughs> I'm just kidding, e nerd. But you know, like guys who, and I understand that this is one path to role playing, but guys who the, the rule system um, uh, is paramount. They care the most about the mechanics of how how, how these rules are structured. How do these how are these rules executed? I'm a story person. I, I, I want the story. I want the interaction with the characters. Um, and so Prince Valiant had a very simple mechanic system that had to do with flipping coins instead of um, rolling dice. So the entire thrust of Prince Valiant was the storyline. You're re rewarded for how you played your character, how in character you were, and there was very little premium put on battle mechanics, rule mechanics. You flip some coins, and maybe things went your way, and maybe they didn't. And then you would adapt. Then the story would adapt in relation to that, had a great afternoon playing that game, got complimented by Greg Stafford. And I was the youngest person by far in that, in that group. And he's like, you know, you really got this whole storytelling thing. So I appreciate you. Thanks. Thanks for playing. So thank you, Greg Stafford. Um, got into Chaosium, got very into Palladium games. And that was, um, 
Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, Robotech. Uh, I believe they had a superhero game called like Champions or something. Never really played that. Um, speaking of superheroes, a TSR game that I did get obsessed with, Marvel Superheroes, um, which much like Prince Valiant had a very stripped down uh, battle mechanic. You rolled like percentile dice for everything and you had a percentile chart and it was just very clear cut and everything was based around playing as the characters, playing out the storylines. Marvel, I actually played quite a bit because it was very easy to pick up and play a game of the Marvel Superheroes role-playing game, at least as it existed back in my day. Um, Our Talsorian's Cyberpunk. I think nowadays they call it like Cyberpunk 2020 or something, but it wasn't that two years ago. Maybe, no, you know, I think it was called Cyberpunk 2020 maybe back in like the 90s. Now it's called something else. There was just a a horrific, I guess, um, video game adaptation of it that was all broken. Um, But, uh, poured over that rule set, did play that one a few times. That game was cool because it took the whole idea of firearms very seriously to the point where if you got into a gunfight with someone, there was a very good chance you were going to die. Like it wasn't this like you could get shot 2,000 times and keep rolling saves. It was like combat was grim. Combat was like, you know, you probably two men enter and maybe a half a man leaves. But, so that was kind of fun. Although the, then, um, you know, characters didn't last very long. Um, and that was the whole thing. Uh, you know, once I did get a little bit older and I was able to hang with my chums for, for longer periods of time, you know, you'd have sleepovers or whatever. It still was weird because it's like, we'd stay up all night rolling up characters and getting everything set up. And then finally it was time to play. And it's like six in the morning and the sun's coming out. Everyone's kind of nodding off and their mom's about to come pick them up in two hours. So we never really did play. Um, I never, other than that Prince Valiant game, I never was able to engage in a extended session of Dungeons and Dragons until I was more like in my um, 20s or so. And again, I often played with friends of mine for whom battle mechanics and battling was their main focus when it came to role playing. And again, nothing wrong with that. Wasn't as into it. So I just, I've never had, other than... Greg Stafford and Prince Valiant. Oh, I had one other extremely satisfying role-playing game experience, which was um, at the Boys and Girls Club in Santa Rosa, California. Um, I think the first summer after we moved to Santa Rosa, California, I was very bored. My parents suggested I go to the Boys and Girls Club. Boys and Girls Club is kind of this divey place with lots of foosball tables and bumper pool tables and a basketball gym. And then this weird kind of little like library room that was always kind of disgusting because people would leave like they bring a sack lunch and they just like toss it in the corner somewhere. So it was kind of like rotting food kind of in the carpet. Had that old mangy like movie theater style carpet. And it was always dirty and stuff like that. But you'd go into that room and um, – there was a kid that was running, originally running D&D games. I might have told this story on the show before because I, I feel like I have. But he was originally running a D&D game, but it got shut down by a concerned parent. Concerned parent that thought it would lead to devil worshipping and suicide. Because they'd seen they'd seen something on a, a television program, a daytime, maybe like Donahue or something like that. That Dungeons & Dragons was going to lead to devil worshipping and suicide. So we were not allowed to play Dungeons and Dragons. We were allowed to play Top Secret SI, 
which as the uh, dungeon master pointed out, which is very wise for his age. Cause I, in my memory, it's just like an adult telling me this, but it was a kid that was probably a year older than me. And I was like in sixth grade at the time. So he was like 13 or whatever. It was like, that's ironic. They're worried that we're going to emulate a game that has to do with like dragons and spells and swords. Um, but they're not worried that we're going to emulate a game that has to do with running around shooting at each other. How many folks do you know carrying a broadsword in their jacket pocket? Not many. How many do you know carrying an Uzi in their jacket pocket? Probably a lot more. And that's a good point. I mean, I, I don't think either one of them is going to lead to anyone emulating anything, but it was just funny that the parents were all like, oh no, they're going to cast a spell. Play the game where you're shooting a rocket launcher at each other instead. So anyway, we, play, we played this awesome uh, campaign of uh, Top Secret that summer that involved with like, we were uh, CIA agents or something, and we ended up in West Germany, but we had to get out on a commercial flight, but we were trying to smuggle like our weapons on the flight, and we got caught. We had to hijack the plane, and it was, just, it was insane. The most fun I've ever had um, with a role-playing game. And again, that did have to do with like the kind of the battle mechanics, battle combat, but it was more like, how are you going to get out of this impossible situation? And more, more uh, importantly, how is your character? Because it really wasn't just like, we're a bunch of generic people, we're just going to generically roll dice. It was like, well, this guy's a demolitions expert. He's going to help blow out the side of the plane so we can go out that way. And this guy, you know, it, we were really using the strengths of our characters, who our characters were in this cohesive, action-packed, thrilling story. Haven't really experienced that since. Um, I don't know that I ever will again. Because again, it's funny. I do think of role-playing as part of the Vegaverse. But I haven't even... Like I said, I used to not play the games, but buy and read the books. I don't even do that anymore. But role-playing, you're still a component of the Vegaverse. Even though, as I was about to say, I don't think I'll ever actually participate in a role-playing game session ever again. Could be wrong. But I just don't see it happening. I don't like being tied up. I don't like being committed to something for that long, too. I guess I'm weird that way. You know, I, I, I'm a, I guess I'm a homebody. I like to be able to do my own thing when I want, how I want. And role-playing, it's like you got to commit. you Because you can't really do it in any meaningful way in less than like five, six hours. And it's hard to, I'm going to be at this event for six hours. I don't want to be sitting on my couch for six hours. I don't want to be like at someone else's house for six hours. I don't know. That's probably That's my own. My own shortcoming. I should probably get over that, but it is what it is. <laughs> Live, laugh, love, and it is what it is, as, as the people say. Folks, I am. I apologize for being um, in the doldrums when this episode started. I am all back to life and fired up, and so um, I guess that means I will be back again next week. I was never not going to be back. I was just. I was just saying how I was feeling in that moment. In that moment, as I sat down to. Record this show, I was like, oh, God, I feel depressed, and the last thing I want to do is record a show. But, hey, it brought the vegan fire out of me, and it brought me back to life. So whether anyone's listening, no one's listening, I guess it was good self-therapy. Yeah, I'll be back next week. Um, Until then, I don't know. Yeah, we'll see you then. It's me, it's me, it's Gino V, Mr. Sensational Gino Vega for the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network, signing off. <laughs>